Today's guest, Carolyn Colleen, is a survivor of sexual abuse as a young girl and also lived in a household where she was uh, raised in an environment of mental instability and hoarding and has overcome all that uh, in a very powerful and poignant way. I know you'll get a lot out of our guest today. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. Your host, Rob Eigner here. Blessed to be with another amazing guest. Today, I'm going to be speaking to Carolyn Colleen. She is an author of a book named Fierce, Five Minutes at a Time. She is absolutely a fierce individual, and I know she will bring a lot of value and insight to, to all of you listening today. Her reason for being here or her reason, the impetus for her writing this book is, is powerful and poignant and unfortunately all too common in the United States today. So I'm going to let her be the one to reveal uh, what prompted her to write this book. So Carolyn, welcome to the show. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Uh, getting into what prompted me to write the book. Now, what's interesting is you and I met through a, a colleague, a friend, Brett, who is with the One Life community. Yes. And uh, it was interesting that through that community is really a bit of how I unveiled their purpose and understanding my purpose again. So the purpose of my book is it's fierce transforming from adversity five minutes at a time. And when I attended this One Life conference and met Brett, I realized that my purpose was to be able to, would you say, take the things that happened to me and identify how those can become clear choices in my life. First of all, tell us what happened to you as a young person. And then, of course, well, I want to trans transition right away to what that process was of making the choices to be in the position you're in now. Yes. So with my upbringing and uh, background, I had an interesting definition of what we would call love. So my definition of love began and was created back uh, at the age of four. At the age of four, uh, that basis of definition was molded by the overly friendly neighbor I had, teenage boy, who stole my innocence from me and continued to sexually, sexually molest me for the duration of time I lived next door. And that was from four till what age? Until uh, about six, seven, a little, six and a half. And did, did uh, and I, I'm of course sorry that that happened, did, did it ever happen again in your life? Yes. So my, de my definition of love, again, continued to be molded in my childhood. So having that kind of unclear understanding of that type of attention 
combined with growing up in a household with a untreated mentally ill mother Mm -hmm. uh, who on great days would tell me that she loved me so much. And on bad days, she would remind me that I'm adopted and I cost $10,000 and I had to earn my keep. Mm. Now, moving on with uh, that type of environment, um, a fluctuating environment, as you can imagine, uh, my mother was a hoarder. So uh, think about American hoarders. Some of us are familiar with the show, some aren't. But if you think about a child about nine years old, walking from the bedroom to the bathroom with stuff, hordes up to their armpits with just simply a path. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the way, you might see a scatter of a mouse and you're also smelling uh, the smell of uh, cockroach spray. This is the environment that I grew up up in. Now my Oh, to layer that further and to answer your question about further abuse, my sister was born and she's nine years younger than me. And I would teach her how to hide in the hordes. One would think for fun, but actually it was to protect her from the people that were uh, invited into our home in which to protect her from her also losing her innocence, offering myself in her place. Were you, were you successful in that yes. with her? That's great. So she has not been abused. And so I have a, you know, many questions, but one, one question I'll ask is just kind of to the hoarding side of things. So now as a, an adult, what, what is your um, orientation to how you maintain your home? Like you grew up in a home of hoarding. So now what is your home like now? Well, my choice is very clean, very uh, spacious and mm-hmm. open. Mm-hmm. So I have no knickknacks. I have no, um, no collector's items of any kind. It's just very, very, I think I have like two paintings on the wall. <laughs> if I can ask like a, uh, if I can ask like a direct question, do you feel like you're, uh, the way you have adapted that experience now, do you, th- do you feel, think it's pretty healthy? Yes. So of course, 20 years of therapy, but uh, also you know, quite a bit of self-development work as well mm-hmm. and really understanding you know, why, why I might have particular tendencies and working through those things, but then also making a deliberate intentional look at the, the environment I was raised in and some of those things. Now, there's many things in my childhood, just a few of them that I shared that are not ideal, but they're also not uncommon. Right, and so I, um, I I look back through through those years, and I think, okay, what is the leverage that I can pull from this? Mm-hmm. Now, growing up in a household with um, untreated mental health, there's fluctuations, there's the ups, there's the downs, there's the in betweens. What can I pull from that? Not saying it's okay, but saying that, all right, in my life and in my career. I am able to be flexible. I am able to have empathy and I'm able to navigate different types of emotions and different types of people. And I can understand and be empathetic to people are coming from all different spaces. And so um, what can you look back on things that may have happened to you and how can you create it or, or, or pull something from it that happened for you? Now, uh, and, and I really appreciate that perspective because that's that's really kind of the message that I'm trying to convey with this show is, you know, we we can grow and learn and become better 
because some of the challenges we've been through. Hello, listeners. I wanted to announce a very interesting and unique contest that we're going to be doing. As many of you know, I'm a coach and consultant and have worked with hundreds of business professionals, uh, helping coach them for both business success and success in life in general. And we want to put it out there to all of our listeners that anyone who shares the show, promotes the show on social media five or more times will be entered into a drawing for a free coaching session with me. So we would love to see uh, evidence of your shares uh, that can be found on the show notes of today's episode, how to do that. And anyone who shares our show more than five times will be entered into a drawing for a free coaching session with yours truly, Rob Iger. Thanks so much. Question for you, when when you were a young girl and um, having coped with this abuse, um, do you feel like you were in denial of it back then? Were you extremely distraught and impacted and, and not high functioning? Like, how would you describe how it was impacting you in the moment as a young girl? As a young girl, I didn't know any different. You know, did I, did I, I knew there was something not right, but I didn't know uh, exactly that it was anything different. I did have challenges with flashbacks and blanking out in school. So um, I'd get in trouble for, they call it daydreaming, but I was actually just not present. And I was also worried about my little sister who was at home. So that was a lot of stress. And so you're, had, dealing, you're dealing with being a victim and a protector at the same time. Yes. And then I had, um, you know, stomach seizures from stress. And, and is that something that was treated and is now fine? Or is that something that still impacts you today? No, that was treated in the many years of therapy I went through. And um, there's many things that I needed to process through. And through help uh, with therapy and through um, being able to be present and mindful and really identifying the things that were barriers to my next level of growth. Now, there are times where I will still have flashbacks, mm-hmm. but it's how it, it affects me. It's, it's where I can identify what's happening. I can take a deep breath and become present, and then I can choose where I want to go from there. And do you, so you, are you able, uh, thank you for that. That's such a great way to put it. Are you, are you able to kind of separate and understand, like, I'm having a feeling or an emotion right now. That's not who I am or where I am. That's not, that's not happening in the moment. It's just a feeling. Is that how you separate it? That's how I do it. I'm curious how you do it. Right. So I, yes, I, I identify that it's actually happening. And then I get to choose how I react to it. Right. So what am I going to do at this time? What do I need? So I, you know, the, the flashbacks, like they, they reduce, but they don't go away. And it's really how you manage it. So I can feel an emotion coming. I can choose what I'm going to do in that time. Do I need a moment of compassion for myself? Do I need to take five minutes? Do I need to get grounded and then reset? Mm-hmm. And, and choose from those tools and the toolbox that I've developed over the years and choose which one's the right fit in that moment. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that's very, very useful uh, for our listeners. I appreciate that. So <clears throat> let's cut over to the book real quick. So if I can ask, uh, how long ago was the abuse? How many years ago was that? Which one? 
<laughs> this, let's say when it start. Let's say let when it started. How long ago was it that it started? Okay, so I'm 41 now, and it started when I was four. So, so 37 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when did you write the book? I wrote the book in 2016. And do you feel like at that point you had kind of processed this experience to its fullest? Meaning, you know, yeah, you still have flashbacks. Understandably, my father still has flashbacks from the Holocaust. So that's understandable. But do you feel like you've kind of, you know, gotten to a place where you're like in a a complete healthy balance in terms of dealing with that history? You know, it's an evolving process because, you know, you have the history, you, you learn tools in which to cope, manage and grow, but there's also things that are, um, side effects, meaning choices that you make in your life. So the choices I made from the, the uh, upbringing that I had, and at the time, at, at different times and choices you desire. So when you know, uh, listen, my favorite quote is, uh, when you know better, you do better. Mm. And that's by Maya Angelou. And I say that to myself repeatedly because you have to give yourself an element of grace. Now, given my upbringing, I made particular choices in my life, such as partners, My first spouse was very abusive Mm. and, um, and that is a direct uh, result of my definition of Mm self-love. So how these things affect, you know, the choices that you make. So that's why I say it's an evolving process because as I continually take that pause, understand where I'm at in the choices that I'm making, I can then, um, have compassion for myself remind myself that I know what I know at the time that I know it and I can make the best decision with the information I have mm-hmm. and continue to grow. So, so tell, tell our listeners what the book helped you uh, move through and what it's meant to help readers move through. So what it helped me move through is to appreciate all the experiences I've had in my short lifetime and then elevate how to accept those things doesn't mean that they're right but accept them as part of who i am and then identify a way to move forward talk to us about the this this 5 minute concept mhm so 5 minutes like i said a little bit earlier about the evolving process so building resilience so building that 5 minutes at a time you know your listeners may be familiar with the concept of one day at a time. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You can get through one day at a time. The serenity prayer. For me, going through, going through flashbacks, PTSD, situational depression, um, fear, anxiety, overwhelm. A full day uh, when trying to set a goal is too much. And so I need to find a way in which to break it down. And so I've learned that in five minutes, you know, five minutes, you can just about do anything you don't want to do or you're avoiding doing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's where that five minute concept comes from. Breaking down your goal in which to identify where you are. What are you going to do with that emotion in the next five minutes? What is the thing that's going to serve you the best and move toward that goal? And continue to do that five minutes at a time. And when you're stacking those five minutes, soon enough, 
it turns into 15. Soon you've turned into a half day, into a full day. And then you can turn around and look and see the progress you've made, celebrate that progress, and see that you're actually building resilience. You know that, uh, have you heard of a book called uh, Atomic Habits? Yes. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. It, it's similar. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, you know, yeah, I want to lose 50 pounds. Okay, well, let's start with I took a walk, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you don't just all, all of a sudden go cold turkey and cut your diet down by 2,000 calories and start running marathons. You start with little tiny habits that you build on. Sounds exactly in alignment with that. I love that. So are you, are you practicing that daily yourself? Oh, yes. Definitely. Con- consciously and it. daily. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. intentional because it's it, the fierce portion of it. So it's practicing becoming fierce five minutes at a time. And the, the, the fierce methodology, which is actually a formula that I created, goes into how do you become present? F for focused breath, becoming present. I for identifying one goal, meaning where am I at and where am I going? And then E goes into examining the barriers. What's holding you back? What is getting in the way of you being able to move and and, and move into that next step? Then there's R, reflecting, meaning, okay, I understand. I I, I know where I am. I can accept that. I've identified where I want to go. I know what's getting in the way, and that might be me getting in the way. Reflecting is that strategy. What is that strategy I'm going to lay out in which to get to where I want to go? C is for courage, taking that step five minutes at a time. And then E is for, for executing um, and, and moving into that, uh, that goal five minutes at a time. And this is what you teach in some of your workshops? Yes. And, and do you have a template for this, meaning a, like a sheet that someone would print out and go, I'm going to follow the fierce methodology, I'm going to use that with this issue I'm having at work or with my mother or with my girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Is there a form that they use? Yes. My, the fierce formula is right on my website, carolyncolleen.com. And yes. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because it helps you move past that emotional piece. How do you take that emotion that's holding you back and turn it into fuel in which to ignite uh, a move? So for example, if, you, if you're struggling with overwhelm, or anxiety, you know, that feeling that you kind of get in the pit of your gut. How do you take that feeling? How do you hone it so that you're the one that's in control and you're, you are the one that's using that emotion and you're using it as a fuel to push you in a positive direction and you're doing that five minutes at a time. Awesome. Awesome. You know what I'm, I'm kind of compelled to do um, if you're open to it just for fun. What if I pick a challenge I'm having and you guide me through this process. Great. Are you cool with Sounds that? Sounds like fun. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just, you know, we're, uh, we can do whatever we want. So I want to, right. I, I want to, I, li- <laughs> I like this idea. So, so let's see, what do I want to work on? I want to give, I want to do something that's, you know, vulnerable enough. So let's say that I, I'll, I'll go with lately. I've been having a hard time sticking to my goals. I've been mm-hmm. feeling a little bit like lazier than normal, a little bit less productive than I'm used to being, a little bit less purposeful. Mm-hmm. Is that a is that a fair place to work? It is, yes. All right. So you want to guide me through it? Yes. So with that, 
understanding, so focused breath, taking a deep breath, focused breath, becoming present. So you want to breathe in for seven and out for 11. Okay. And the only reason I use that is because it's easy to remember. And with breathing, you're becoming present. You're clearing your mind so that you can focus on a goal. Now, your goal you've identified as you want to be able to move. You're, You're feeling a little bit of procrastination. Right. So breathing and identifying being present, accepting where you are, forgetting what happened five minutes ago. If you didn't do what you said you were going to do, fine. You're right here right now. Number two is identifying that goal, the, the, the wanting to be able to move and clearing kind of this muck. Mm-hmm. The third piece is examining the barriers. So what's really holding you back? So procrastination is an emotion. It's a, it's a, d- a deeper seated emotion that's coming from somewhere. So being able to think about that barrier, what is that emotion? Where is it coming from? So sometimes with procrastination, it's a fear. Mm-hmm. It's a fear of success. It's a fear of failure. It's a fear of, you know, the many different things. And so understanding what that is, that diving deep into that so that you can unveil that and use that as a fuel. Mm-hmm. So for example, you know, with that, with that emotion, you can take it and you can say, you know what, I understand that I feel like I don't want to do this right now, but I'm going to hone that in and I'm going to move just for the next five minutes. I'm going to be in my ideal state. And that's the next one, which is reflect the strategy for the next five minutes. My strategy is that I am going to be in that goal of creating it and getting things done. So I'm going to pick one thing to do and I'm going to move into that. So it kind of goes right back to that five minute concept of like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling less on purpose right now. So I'm going to just try to do five minutes of being on purpose, what I define as being on purpose. And that'll start building that habit back. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Exactly. So stepping into that future state, stepping into that persona. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and what's interesting is that it's, uh, People, people use this kind of persona when they're, when they're acting, right? Mm-hmm. So they're stepping into this persona, this other person or this future being, a uh, state of being in order to create. So that's kind of what you're doing. You're using that emotion as fuel. You're identifying where you want to be and you're using that five minutes at a time. So that's your strategy. And then the courage and the execution engaging portion is doing that five minutes at a time, taking that and taking a deep breath and saying, this is what I'm doing right now. And I'm engaging into that. And you're practicing that five minutes by five minutes by five minutes throughout the day. I love it. And um, how, how much of your um, philosophy around this concept, uh, how much of it is supported by people sort of being public with others about whatever their challenges, you know, so in in other words, asking for accountability or asking for mentorship. So saying, Hey, you know, I'm feeling lethargic right now. I just want to put it out there. You know, you Mm -hmm. have, uh, I'm, I'm outing myself so that the people who care about me can check on how I'm doing on on whatever that subject is. That makes sense. Right. So the co-creation of your goals, cluing people in, Hey, you know, I, I have a goal that I want to be able to accomplish X, Y, and Z this week, but I'm, feel, I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling like hiding. I'm feeling like not getting on the phone. You know, those types of things, that co-creation and that support of your life 
in your goals is very important. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think, um, you know, hopefully it'll encourage people to look at your website and look at your book and, and, uh, and see what some of the programs are that you offer. And, and I can totally see the value in that. I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, I, as I always do on every episode, I have a, a quote for you to kind of react to. I, for you, because your, your subject is so, um, or your history is so, you know, uh, intense or, or has a lot of depth to it. I couldn't just pick one quote, so I have two for you. <laughs> um, so tell me, uh, I just kind of want to hear how these resonate with you. So the first one, often it isn't the initiating trauma that creates seemingly insurmountable pain, but the lack of support after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and you're looking for my thoughts on it? Yeah, how does, that, how does that relate to you? How does that relate to other people you've maybe helped who've been through what you've been through? You know, it's freeing. You shared a little bit about that, that, that vulnerability. We, as a society, aren't really set up or taught that you know, we share some of our dark places. And through being able to share, it's actually empowering to know that you're not alone. And, you know, it's actually, it's sad, but it's also a comforting to know that these things are so very common and that you can overcome and then not only overcome, you can help others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, amazing that you just said that. Cause my second quote, <laughs> it's almost like this was rehearsed. Um, the second quote I selected, you can recognize survivors of abuse by their courage. When silence is so very inviting, they step forward and share their truth. So others know they are not alone. Mm. So it is kind of exactly mm-hmm. what we just just covered, isn't it? It is. And it, you know, it gives you permission. Right. You know, being able to step into publishing my book, speaking, sharing has been so, you know, when you help others, you help yourself. It's been so healing and giving permission to further heal and further evolve. Right. You know, my my parents uh you know, Holocaust survivors, and they really didn't speak at all about their history until I was a teenager and my sister, a teenager, and we started asking them about their past and they were very reticent to speak. And now, you know, 40 years later from us as, as their children addressing it, they have, um, you know, they've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and told their story on television and and on this podcast and many places. And it's been, of course, impactful and healing to their audiences, but I think maybe more so healing to themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I hear that in what you're saying as well. So, you know, unfortunately, there's tons of statistics about children uh, who have been through what you've been through. So, I, you know, had to kind of wade through a lot of data and sort of pick a few that I thought would be poignant for us to talk about. But I think there's just a never ending parade of data points that we can point to. So I'm going to share five or six stats with you. And I'd love to a get your feedback and thoughts and also maybe go to what choices you're making and what choices we need to be making as a society to improve this situation because it's it's pretty 
uh, dire when I, when I read some of these stats. Mm -hmm. So, so here's a few, one out of three girls and one out of five boys will be sexually abused before they reach 18. Mm -hmm. 90% of child sexual abuse victims know their perpetrator. 68% are abused by a family member. Children who experience child abuse and neglect are 59% more likely to be arrested. Mm -hmm. 80% of 21-year-olds who were abused as children met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder. And then my last one, abused children are less likely to practice safe sex, putting them at greater risk from a health perspective. So I know that's a lot of, you know, varying data points I threw out there, but give us some feedback and some thoughts on that. Well, what's interesting is that, yes, it's, it's varying data, but it, the, it reiterates the commonality of it and how that directly connects to something called adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. So there's a study by the CDC and Kaiser Permanente where they came out with a study around adverse childhood experiences and the connection to well-being later in life. Now, this study revealed that on a score of 1 to 10, all of adverse occurrences before you reach the age of 18, most all of us have at least one, meaning um, neglect, abuse of some kind, emotional, physical, sexual, um, divorce, alcoholism, or drug abuse in the family. Mm -hmm. These are just 10 points. Most of us in the nation have at least one. Now, when you're looking at these statistics, um, when you get to be over three, a, a score of three, you um, are more likely to have adverse effects of well-being later in life, such that you noted, such as um, being incarcerated or having long-term uh, mental health effects. As you get to a score of four, this is where it starts to affect not only your choices, but also your long-term life experience or life expectancy. So for example, with a score of four or more, you are 400 times more likely to be diagnosed with lung cancer or COPD. Mm -hmm. As you get over the score of six, you are, uh, your life expectancy can be cut by 20 years. So this is an actual, the CDC has recognized it as a public health awareness that mm-hmm. needs to be addressed. And what's wonderful is that healthcare organizations across the nation and um, organizations are trying to do what we need to do is come from a standpoint of trauma-informed care, changing the way we look at these abuses so that they're not uh, they're, they're verbalized and they're spoken about, meaning not so much when you come across a child who is in detention um, getting in a lot of trouble and maybe even getting into some legal trouble. It's not what's wrong with you, but what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and, and having a shift in the way that we see each other and the way that we see what happened and shift, shifting from a space of what is wrong with you to a space of what happened and how can I help? In this manner, we're able. And, and what about if? Sorry, to, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, in that dialogue, how much uh, are you finding that the current services that are available to people who've been through this kind of trauma? How much uh, 
emphasis is placed on them helping themselves. And so what I mean by that is, of course, we want to be empathetic. And of course, we want to give them tools and support, etc. And, you know, kind of like you said yourself, you know, you're making choices five minutes at a time, essentially, It, it seems like people who've been through this need to they're the ones who most importantly need to grab this and, and, and make some choices to heal themselves. Right. Exactly. So when I heard this data, I thought, well, okay. I I looked at the ticks and the ticks don't, don't look good for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, out of a score of 10, I have a nine, Mm -hmm. which means I can reduce my life expectancy by 20 and the likeliness of, you know, developing lung cancer is extreme. Now, what about, it's a great question. What about those people who have higher scores? What, what's, what's the saving grace? Cause there's so many things that are happening for the younger, the younger generation children. And we're trying to support. And mm-hmm. the one thing that's found is that teaching resilience is the combater mm-hmm. of adverse childhood experiences and the results of your well-being. You can actually challenge it. And that's where my model comes in. So the fierce formula teaches how five minutes at a time, you yourself can build your own resilience, take pause, look at where you're at, own it, and push forward in a positive direction. Yeah, I I love that because I, you know, uh, just intuitively before you gave that answer, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's got to be resilience and persistence. It's got to be that thing because... Again, I mean, I'm referencing my parents a lot in this particular episode because, you know, the, the trauma they went through is significant and the trauma you've been through is significant. And they, they're parallel in the sense that I think what my parents took away from their Holocaust survival and what I think me and my sister gained because of their Holocaust survival is we understand we can survive anything. We have complete resilience. You know, it doesn't mean we're always happy. It doesn't mean we're always joyful. It doesn't mean things always go our way. It just means we know that this too shall pass. Yes. Uh, in a way that I think others maybe don't have the benefit of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I really, I really connect with you, even though our experiences are, you know, radically different. What our DNA has been through is radically different, but the, the outcome is somewhat similar. Yes. So we've covered a lot from your history to the impetus for writing the book, the impact the book and your speaking has, some statistics, et cetera. I want to make sure that we've covered and communicated everything that you feel like will be of great import to our listeners. Is there anything that you want to add to what we've covered so far? I think that maybe not so much adding, but just kind of accenting that we all have different backgrounds. We come from different places. And being able to take that pause, accept where we're at, is I think that we, we tend to, um, especially people who are very goal-oriented, tend to blow right over uh, understanding where we are and being present, accepting you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then moving into your greatest ferocity, five minutes at a time. I love it. I love it. You've been uh, very open, uh, very uh, powerful. And I know that our listeners got a lot of benefit from this today. We've been talking to Carolyn Colleen, author of Fierce, Transitioning Your Life in the Face of Adversity, Five Minutes at a Time. 
Her website is on the show notes here at the bottom of the page. Please uh, order her book, go to her website, learn more about all the amazing benefits she can provide people who participate in her program. So thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.